Thank you for taking time to listen to this week's message from Horizon West Church. You can find even more content, including video archives of this and other past messages at horizonwestchurch.com. And if you're in the Horizon West area, be sure to visit us sometime soon. Now enjoy this podcast from Horizon West Church. Amen. Good morning. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you, team, for, for leading us as we, as we sung those songs. Um, I was thinking about a particular group of people, um, just the nature of the songs and raising a hallelujah in the presence of our enemies and believing for the things of God. You know, there is a segment of our population years ago that experienced enslavement on American soil for more than 250 years. Uh, one of, if not the greatest blotches on our history. Um, and, and among those enslaved people were some of our biological ancestors and many of us, our spiritual ancestors, people like Frederick Douglass, Sojourner Truth, who were not only planting seeds in the soil as enslaved people, but were planting seeds of faith to believe that one day their children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren would finally have the hope of freedom that had been afforded to the rest of our nation. And on June 19th, 1865, news of their freedom finally reached the enslaved people of Southern Texas in Houston and Galveston and the surrounding areas. And the celebration that erupted has become known as something we celebrate as a nation, Juneteenth. And so this weekend and tomorrow, we honor and we celebrate the freedom that exists not only for some of our population, but for all. This is a good thing. The Spirit of the Lord is. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so tomorrow, as you go about your day, keep in mind the ongoing work that God has in store for us to declare not only physical freedom, but spiritual freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That is the good news. Today, as we've said, is also Father's Day. And so if you're a Dad, granddad, stepdad, uh, foster dad, I want you to just lift your hand up so we can see you and celebrate you again. We want (laughs) to affirm uh, you throughout this morning. Um, In fact, we're going to let you know how much you're appreciated by giving you bacon. That's how much you're appreciated. On your way out this morning, there will be some snack and bacon that you can pick up if you're in any of those categories that we mentioned a moment ago. Uh, If you have been attending Horizon West Church the last several weeks, you know that we've been kind of in and out of a series in 1 Corinthians, a letter of Paul to a church in Corinth. And uh, we've started into a part of that series that we're calling Awkward Conversations. However, I didn't think it was fair to the dads to just continue in our Awkward Conversations series because when it's Mother's Day, we pick a woman in the Bible to hold up and, and kind of represent womanhood, and we encourage the women with that. And so I wanted to find a man in the Bible that we could do the same thing with. And I thought, you know, if the guys in the room are anything like me, perhaps a couple of things they find themselves tripped up on from time to time are interpersonal conflict and impulsive desires, something we've been talking about in our First Corinthians series. So I started thinking through the men of the Bible. I was like, let, let me get beyond Jesus and find a man in the Bible who exemplifies how to navigate the difficult road of conflict and desire. And sadly, there are almost none in the Bible you can turn to. 
Like the Bible just tells on itself all throughout. Like it is not the best picture of manhood except for Jesus. You think about Jacob and Esau. <laughs> the, Jacob's the founder of the nation of Israel. Just nothing but conflict throughout their lives. Impulsiveness on both of their ends. Samson was an impulsive man who was constantly in conflict with other people. The great King David had his share of impulsiveness and conflict. And even Jesus' own disciples were not above turning on each other, bickering with each other, and giving in to their own impulsive desires. But I did find one man, not Jesus, he's obviously the ultimate example. I found one other man in the Bible that I thought we could turn to for how to navigate those difficult roads. And so I'm going to ask if you've got a Bible or Bible app, turn to Genesis chapter 39, and that's where we're going to begin today. And the story of the man I want to share with you today is found in Genesis 37 through 50. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, and this individual is a man named Joseph. To give you a quick biography and history of his life, Joseph is the 11th of 12 brothers growing up in a place called Canaan, located in the Middle East, and he is, of his brothers, the favorite son of his father. As you can imagine, this created some sibling rivalry, but we'll get to more of that in a moment. At the age of 17, his brothers sold him into slavery. He ends up uh, being the servant or slave of a man named Potiphar, only to have that man's wife accuse him of coming on to her and making unwanted advances. This lands Joseph, probably sometime in his early 20s, lands him in prison, and he spends years or maybe a decade in prison before he is eventually, through some really unusual circumstances, released from prison and goes into political office in Egypt, the place of his captivity. He is then eventually reconciled with his brothers and forgives their offenses against them. Now this is a really quick, like elevator version of his story. And there's a lot of places we could go. One of those is what an incredible trajectory this young man had from being enslaved to imprisoned to one of the most powerful people in the world. If that interests you and you want to look for some principles or things that you can latch onto as a success story, Genesis 37 to 50 is a good place to do that. But I am interested in a very different aspect of Joseph's story. I'm less interested in the power that he attained. I want to answer this question together. What made Joseph able to navigate the pitfalls of desire and conflict where so many others could not? Or asked another way, what made Joseph able to succeed where so many others failed? I'm going to show a picture uh, on the screen behind me, and I'm going to ask what you see. This is going to be audience participation. Do you see a man with sideburns, or do you see a woman? Let me, let me see man with sideburns. How many of you see a woman? Okay, some of you see both. What about this picture? Do you see a, a man looking head on with half of his face out of the picture, or do you see a man turned to the side? Head on, turn to the side, okay? Let me do a couple more. How many of you see, I had a woman say she saw a violinist. I told her we have counseling for that. But how many of you see, how many of you see a saxophone player? How many of you see a woman? And, and then last one, this is probably the most well-known of these. How many of you see a young woman? And how many see an old woman? You guys don't see the old woman. Okay, she's got her chin down at the bottom. She's turned facing like down in that direction. You don't see this? 
All right, you're seeing it. And some of you are going, man, I can see both. That's all good. But here's the point. Here's the principle I want to establish. It is possible to experience the same thing and yet see something very different. And the key to that is perspective. What I want to do today is I want to, I want to look together at two perspectives that this man Joseph held that are the difference in the outcome of his life. Genesis chapter 39, uh, I'm going to begin at verse 6, or actually in the middle of verse 6. Here's what it says. But one day when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house was there, the woman caught him by the garment. Sorry, I'm reading the wrong part. I got ahead of myself. Let me go up to verse 6. Here it is. Now Joseph was handsome in form and in appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not even greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, or even to be with her. The first perspective I want to point to and show you in Joseph's life is that he looked higher. Many years ago, I was talking with an older pastor friend. He's done a lot of work with younger men and pastors, and he often asks men, what is your why? What is your reason? The reason you get out of bed, the reason you, you keep going through the hard, the reason that you live. And he says often men will say to him things like, well, it's my wife, my kids, it's my family, that they're my reason. And this pastor said, let me paint a picture for you. God forbid the Florida Highway Patrol calls one day. And says, sir, I, I regret to inform you, your wife and children have been in a horrific car accident on I-4, and none of them have survived. All of a sudden, your reason for life is gone. And there's got to be something deeper than just what is even our blessings in life, our relationships, our spouses, our children. All of those are good parts of our lives. They cannot be the reason for life itself. Nor can they be the reason that sustains us through the difficulties and challenges of life. Now, full transparency, as a man, there are times where having a wife and having children is great accountability, right? Like, there are times when it's like, man, I can't let these people down. But if that's all I've got, that doesn't go far enough for the level of temptations and challenges we're going to face. It doesn't get us to the finish line. We need something more than that. Consider with me for a minute what Joseph was experiencing. Joseph had no wife and no children. His own family had betrayed him and he had not seen them for, at this point, months or perhaps even years. He didn't have a good job. He was enslaved. He didn't have a bank account, nothing to his name or credit. There was nothing to help Joseph to, to live a life of integrity except for this one thing. And it's in verse 9. He says this, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against who? God. That name that he uses for God there is the name Elohim. It's the name that God has first introduced to us by in Genesis. Which means that even though Joseph hadn't been in his dad's house for a very, very long time, 
what's getting him through, what's helping him to overcome is not the gods of Egypt that he had learned. It's the God of his great-grandfather Abraham, his grandfather Isaac, and his own father Jacob. Dads, I want to let you know this morning that you have a monumental challenge on your hands. Jacob only got 17 years with his son Joseph, and then in Jacob's mind, the boy was dead. That's what his brothers told their father. And yet years later, the faith of Jacob was so deep and had been so intentionally instilled in Joseph that Joseph is now able to lean in on his faith, in on the God of Elohim, to overcome the challenges and temptations he's facing. Dads, we we may not give our children this clean, pristine, perfect faith, join the club. None of us are doing that. But are you being intentional to give what is sometimes exhausted and tattered and tried? Are you doing what it takes to instill in your children the faith that you yourself have? For Joseph, this was his why, and it got him through betrayal and enslavement and intense sexual temptation. The verse says that she came to him day after day. If Joseph had been looking at his circumstances, he would have gone down. But that is not the way to victory. We get through not by looking at our circumstances, but by looking above them. This is the very essence of what faith is. Colossians, a New Testament letter, says it this way, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. You need to know this morning that faith is not believing in yourself. Faith is not optimism that things will get better. Faith, church, is not even agreeing to a certain set of beliefs or creeds and saying, yes, those are true. Faith is more than all of that. Faith is looking above what are sometimes difficult and trying and horrific circumstances and looking higher than that to lay hold of the one, Jesus, who laid hold of you. This is the way to victory. This is faith. The great devotional writer Oswald Chambers said, faith is a deliberate confidence in the character of God, whose ways you may not understand at the time. Joseph's circumstances went beyond anything that could be understood. You don't go through those kinds of traumas in life and go, yeah, this makes sense. And dads, you may not understand, similarly, you may not understand how your marriage is going to survive, much less thrive. Older dads and granddads in the room, you may not understand how your grown child or grandchild will ever come back to God from where they are. You may not understand how the the pressures and the, 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 the temptations and the challenges that you face day to day could ever be accomplishing for you something good. But we can say with the Apostle Paul, the good news, we live by faith and not by sight. We live by looking above our circumstances, not simply by looking at them. The next chapters in Joseph's life real quickly went like this. After being falsely accused by uh, Potiphar's wife, he's thrown into prison. Uh, He then is able to interpret a dream. You need to read this on your own. Genesis 37 to 50. We don't have time to cover it all. He interprets a dream for Pharaoh, who's the supreme leader of Egypt, 
And Pharaoh is so impressed by Joseph, he gets him out of prison at the age of 30 and basically sets him over the entire kingdom. And it is through that set of circumstances, combined with a famine, a lack of food in the land, that Joseph's family, his brothers in particular, wind up in Egypt and he's reunited with them. And after that, their father, Jacob, dies. And here's what Genesis chapter 50 says. Uh, Genesis 50, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and will pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. Notice his brothers are still scheming. (laughs) And now they say, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. So Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and they said, behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, do not fear. For am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about uh, this that you see, that many people would be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and for your little ones. Thus, he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. One of the great gifts and challenges of life is that we live it one day at a time. I say that's a gift because the present is the only place we can experience God or experience life or goodness of any kind. But here's the challenge. When you live one day at a time as we do as human beings, we don't see the end from the beginning. We don't see the way the parts of our life are working together for something greater. Several years ago when Nikki and I were still uh, without children, we had a regular routine of, of I think it was Pizza Hut pizza and a movie on Thursday nights. And sometimes she got to pick the movie and sometimes I got to pick the, pick the movie. And on this one particular night, it was her turn to pick the movie and she picked the movie Stepmom. Who has seen Stepmom? It's an older movie. Okay. So the basic premise of Stepmom was unknown to me. Um, and what the plot line, I'll spoil this, it's like 30 years old, so no, no, no shame is a woman who is dying of cancer and basically handing off her children to the incoming stepmom. And there's this rivalry that turns into a friendship. Well, having lost my mom to cancer in high school, I just, I didn't see it coming. And I'm not an emotional person. I had not cried to that point in in many, many years, probably over 10 years. My wife had never seen me cry. And about 70 minutes into the movie, I'm going... The tears are welling up. And then it was like they're just sucker punching you left and right, like scene after scene. And by the end of the movie, I am literally weeping. Like I am like, I'm laying on my wife's shoulder just sobbing. I'm just like dealing with something I hadn't dealt with in 11 years. And I tell you that story because when you've watched a movie in full, you can go, okay, I know what, I know what happens I know there's a certain scene, I'm going to skip that, I'm going to, I'm going to emotionally prepare for that. But life works like a movie you've never seen. And sometimes we look at our relationships, we look at our job, our finances, our, our children, we go, man, I didn't see that coming. I can promise you that Joseph didn't see coming what came into his life, but he got by not only by looking higher, he also looked further. He looked not only above his circumstances in faith, but he also looked beyond them to see the bigger story that God was writing 
in his life. You may or may not know that when Joseph was a teenager, he had a dream, and in this dream, he saw his brother's crops coming and bowing down to his crops. He then had another dream in which the sun, moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to him. In Joseph's young, foolish naivety, he thought it would be a good idea to share that with his family. And his brothers who already hated him began devising a plan. This was part of the reason, maybe the primary reason, he ends up getting sold into slavery. But here's, what, uh, here's why I bring that up. Joseph, in this moment, in, G- in Genesis 50, the passage we read a moment ago, as his brothers are coming and bowing down before him, and he's like the man in Egypt, and they're humbly requesting for his provision and protection, Joseph sees in that not an I gotcha, or I told you so, or even an opportunity for retaliation. What Joseph does is he looks further than all of that, sees himself as a teenager, the dream that God planted in his heart, and goes, this is the fulfillment. This is what God intended. And out of that place, Joseph could say these words, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. By the way, we don't get through trauma and hardship and injustice by diminishing it or or acting like it's not there. Joseph said, yes, what you did was evil. What you did was wrong, but God was doing something greater. Earlier this week, Nikki and I were listening to a podcast called The Happy Hour with Jamie Ivey, and there was a guest on it, a woman named Tony Collier. And this woman shared, she's now a, a, a prolific author and speaker and, and minister, and she shared that the moment it all clicked for her was when, in a, in a moment, I think she was in a church service of some kind, but, but she basically saw herself as a young girl and the abuse that she received from family members at that time. And then saw herself as a teenager in a vehicle that had flipped multiple times and landed in a ditch. And then saw herself as a young woman with uh, hurt from broken relationships and, and failed attempts to find love. And it was as if God was saying to her, I was with you there. And I was with you there. And I was with you there. And I am with you here. And that was the moment for Tony Collier when she realized by looking further, by seeing what God was doing in the bigger picture, that she could become a child of God. Like a puzzle whose pieces are not yet put together, our lives are still in process. But in this moment, Joseph was able to see the piece come together and see the picture that God was painting with his life. And it led him not to retaliation, but to forgiveness. I want to address the fact that on Father's Day, one of the things that you may be doing is reflecting on your own childhood and your own fathers. Some of us had very good fathers. Some of us had very bad fathers. Some of us had no father figure at all. And it's very easy to let the the things of our past, the things that were done wrong to us, the injustices against us, to allow those things to paralyze us. And I want to encourage you, not by diminishing those wrongs or those hurts that come from a father or from another figure, but uh, looking them square in the eyes, can you say, this was meant for evil, but God had a greater purpose. This was not right, but there is a God who Romans 8.28 says is working all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. 
Let me ask us this question as we prepare to close the service this morning. What did Joseph's faith, his looking higher and looking further, what did that accomplish or what did that produce in the world? And let me just give you a quick rundown of what Joseph's faith accomplished. First, it saved the lives of his family members. In the midst of famine, he was able to provide for them because he had held on to the promise of God in his life, and it brought them back together in reconciliation as a family. Not only that, but that family would go on to have uh, generation after generation after generation, and God would prosper them so much that another Pharaoh, many generations later, would fear that Joseph's line would take over Egypt, and so he enslaved the people of Israel. And yet, the faith that was in Joseph, the faith that ran through that family, showed up in one of the descendants of that family, a young man named Moses, who one day stood before that other Pharaoh and said, time is up, let my people go. You have no idea, dads, what your faith, what you're hanging on, sometimes by the skin of your teeth or by your fingernails, what hanging on in the midst of the hard will accomplish. But God is working in you, and God is working through you, and God is taking this somewhere that will be good not only for you, but for generations to come. That's what fatherhood means. I'm going to close in this way. I want to encourage you, if you're a dad, granddad, stepdad, foster dad, and you would allow me to pray a prayer of blessing over you, would you stand where you're at? Dads, granddads, and such throughout the room, I want to pray over you. As a dad, as a dad, I want to pray this prayer. Let me first remind you of something that Ephesians 6 says. This is what I've been meditating on this week. So dads, I'm going to deliver this to you as your charge, as your encouragement, your challenge. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand when the day of evil comes and it will come. For our struggle, dads, is not against flesh and blood. It's against rulers and authorities and powers of this dark world and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. And after you've done everything else, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And let me add this, it's not in the Bible. Fight for your families. Fight for your children. Fight for your spiritual and mental health. Stand firm in your faith, and God will be with you. Dads, let me pray over you. God, you know how weak we are in our flesh. God, you know how exhausted we can be. You know how discouraged we can get. And God, for every man standing in this room who represents more than just one person but represents a legacy and represents generations, God, would you step into their story in power? Would you dress them in the armor of God? Would you help them not only to stand their ground in the day of evil, but to fight for their families, to overcome, and to be the men you've called us to be? Like that man, Joseph. And like the ultimate man, your son, Jesus. God, help us to stand. 
We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Horizon West Church Podcast. If you were inspired or encouraged by something you heard today, share it with a friend. For more information like our service time, location, and other info, be sure to visit us online at horizonwestchurch.com. Have a great week.